This is the second Sunday of Lent. I know that many people in this community have really been trying to live Lent actively day by day since Ash Wednesday or since last Sunday, so good for you. I find that the Sunday readings or the Sunday prayers as well during Lent are particularly encouraging to people who are trying to actively live this season one day at a time. If you haven't yet begun to live Lent, I hope that these readings will actually push you to living it actively one day at a time this week. The first reading we just heard is from the book of Genesis. This is one of my personally top few favorite passages from the Old Testament. If you just listen to that passage, I hope you may say, what are you talking about? It sounds like a butcher shop. What is so interesting about that passage? Here's what's wild about that passage. So the passage is set about 2,000 years before Christ. It is about Abraham, our father in faith, who's married to a woman named Sarah. As you may recall, God enters into Abraham and Sarah's lives and tells them that God wants them to leave their homeland and travel to a new land that God promises them. God promises them that by doing this, when they receive this new land, they are ultimately going to become a great nation. They're going to become a ginormous dynasty. And that dynasty, these innumerable descendants they're going to have, will become a source of blessing for the entire world. Abraham and Sarah make the choice to actually do what God says God wants them to do. That's a big deal. It means they have to leave their homeland, they leave their family, they leave everything that's familiar to them. They leave all of their plans for the future. It's also a very difficult journey. It goes on for many years. It involves a lot of hardship. It's physically, emotionally, in all ways, a difficult journey. It's also, again, as you may recall, particularly difficult because they don't have children. At the very beginning of the journey, they're old, and they're only getting older, like all of us, and they still don't have children. So in the passage we just heard, it's about 10 or 11 years into this journey, Abraham is a man of profound faith. He always responds to God. It's not easy, but he consistently says yes to God. He has a really deep relationship with God. So this isn't a man who doesn't believe in God. This is a man who's very much connected to God. At this point, he's despairing, not about God, but about God's promise. He says to God, we're getting older, I'm paraphrasing here, we're really old now, we don't have any children, you've promised us that we're going to have all of these descendants, and yet we don't even have a child of our own. Abraham is at the point that he says to God, I plan to give my estate to my servant. God entirely loves and cares about Abraham. So in the passage we just heard, God responds to this. God first takes Abraham outside and says, look at the sky. There are no lights where he is, so you can see all the stars. And God says, count those stars. Even if you can do that, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Abraham believes this. He once again affirms, based on his relationship with God, even though he still can't understand it, he affirms in faith what God is saying, and God credits that to him. God says to him, and the nature of the scriptures, you, you can only guess how the words are actually spoken. God says to him, I am the Lord God. I promised you, I took you from your homeland. I have promised you this new land as a possession. I think God is saying, I'm God. I am God. You know me. 
And Abraham says sincerely, but how am I to know that I will possess it? How am I, I know you're God, I guess, how am I to know I will possess it? This is why this passage becomes to me so wildly important. In the ancient Near East and today, there are things called covenants. I think you know this. A covenant is a very serious agreement, a human covenant, between two people who come up with the terms about what they're promising to do, and they solemnly agree, they pledge themselves, that they will meet the terms of the covenant. In the Old Testament, there are major moments in our spiritual history in which God, not human beings, initiates covenants with God's people. God is the one who initiates the covenant, God comes up with the terms of the covenant, and God guarantees the covenant. People freely enter in, and they say, we promise that we will live this covenant, but the covenant comes from God, terms from God, guarantee from God. In the ancient Near East, one way that human beings sometime make covenants is these are two human beings. Wow, COVID must be progressing. No mask. So one way that some human beings make covenants is they take animals and they cut the animals in two. They split the halves of the animals on either side of a pathway they pour out the blood of the animals. Remember, particularly in the Old Testament, blood is believed to be the seat of life. Human beings, animals, that's why when we say take uh, spilling someone's blood is killing someone, the blood of the animals is poured out, and that symbolizes for the two human beings, they walk then between the split pieces of the animals where the blood has been poured out. The two human beings walk between the pieces and this symbolizes I would have myself split in two. I would have my blood poured out lest I violate this covenant. Be sure you get this. Two human beings making an agreement, cut the animals, pour out the blood. The two human beings say each of us would be split in two and have our blood poured out lest we violate this covenant. Do you understand the terms here? All right, so Abraham has just said to God, how will I know that your promise about this land will come true? How will I know that your promise will come true? God, puts, God tells Abraham, and when you think about this go, when you go home, so this is maximally edited five, fifth, sixth century before Jesus. God tells Abraham, get three three-year-old animals, three three-year-old animals, split them in two. Also get two birds, pigeon and turtle dove. Think about this when you go home. Don't kill those. Split the three animals in two, pour out their blood. Abraham does it. God then puts Abraham into sort of a trance He's intensely focused, intently focused on what's about to happen, and he stays focused. It becomes completely dark. Time passes, and then two objects appear in the darkness before Abraham, a smoking pot and a flaming torch. In the Old Testament, what does smoke and fire appearing often indicate? 
the presence of God, exactly. Abraham sees in the midst of these split animals with the blood poured out, God and God. And then the wildness begins. I mean, it's wild to hear. And then the wildness begins. God and God pass through the animals, not Abraham. Abraham is back here. He's witnessing this. God and God make a covenant. There's only one God. God and God make a covenant. God says in doing this, I, God, and I, God, would be split in two and have my blood poured out lest I violate my promise to you, Abraham. So this is completely real. It's complete. I mean, this really took place. It's completely real. Abraham sees this. God, 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 I, God, would be split in two. I, God, would have my blood poured out lest I violate my promise to you, Abraham. It's totally clear and real. And it's completely mysterious. It makes no logical sense. How could God be split in two? God cannot be split in two. How can God's blood be poured out? God doesn't have blood. How can this possibly make sense? It cannot make sense to Abraham. It cannot make sense to anybody to whom this is passed on. Back to Abraham's original question. How will I know that I will possess this land? Because I, God, would be split in two and have my blood poured out lest I violate it. The answer to your question, how will you know? Because of me, God, and this is who I am. And if Abraham can't get that, well, then Abraham has to get to know God better, right? How will I know? Because this is who I am. If you don't know who I am, you need to get to know me better. And just a note, if Abraham wakes up the next morning and says, okay, I need to get to know God better, he doesn't have a lot of tools to do that. He's got all these profound experiences of God. He's got this relationship with his wife, which is wonderful. He has some people around him who affirm him pursuing God, but he doesn't have a lot of material to work with. This is Lent 2022. In five weeks, we are going to be invited by God to enter into the most holy days of every year when God gives us the grace of the renewal of the death, resurrection, death, passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The holiest days of the year, the Easter Triduum, are the reaffirmation to this world that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of this fallen, sinful world. Ultimately and only through his passion, death, and resurrection, he brings salvation to this world. He is your only Savior. He is the only way that you are brought beyond the fallenness into which we're all born. He is the one full way to find God on this planet, to find out how to fully love other people, to find out how to live a life of integrity. He is the only source of eternal life. Jesus Christ promises salvation to anyone who actually chooses to live as his disciple, not just to people who are baptized, not to people who associate with him, 
not to people who just connect and say, yeah, I'm with Jesus, to people who actually choose to live as his disciples. He promises salvation. Vladimir Putin is a baptized Christian. Vladimir Putin is a full and often honored member of the Russian Orthodox Church. Vladimir Putin says that what he is doing right now is, in fact, the will of God. Jesus Christ promises salvation to people who actually live as his disciples. I hope you have the question sometimes, or maybe a lot, Jesus, how will I know that that promise is going to come true? How will I know that what we're going to celebrate in that holiest day period is going to come true? The answer is because I would be split in two and have my blood poured out lest I violate my promise to save you. And he's done it. He was, in fact, split in two for you. He, in fact, had his blood poured out for you. What was said to Abraham 2,000 years before that was true, and it was purely a prefiguring of what was to come. The only way it makes sense that God could be split in two that God could have his blood poured out is the reality of the passion, death, leading to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How will you know that his promise of salvation to you will come true? Because he was split in two and he had his blood poured out for you. And so if you get that, blessed are you, and if you say, I need to know that more, that's Lent. Just like Abraham, I think a lot of you get this, and if you say, I want to know more, that reality, you live Lent. You spend one day at a time turning away from your sin and trying to grow as a faithful disciple of Jesus. You try to get to know Him better by living in Him during this season. Every second Sunday of Lent, in the Gospel passage, we hear one or another account, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, about the transfiguration of Jesus, this year, Luke. Jesus, before he goes and enters into that passion, takes three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, on a mountain. He, God's glory, shines through Jesus. He's transfigured. And these three disciples witness this. They see Moses and Elijah, two great Old Testament figures, speaking with Jesus about the exodus that he'll accomplish in Jerusalem. Presumably that means his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. The exodus is our Jewish ancestors being freed from slavery in Egypt. Jesus accomplishes in Jerusalem the salvation, the freedom of all of humanity from sin and death. The two Old Testament figures disappear. The voice of God is heard. This is my chosen son. Only time in the Old Testament that expression is used. means Messiah. Listen to him. Peter, James, and John 
are not perfect disciples of Jesus. They're very imperfect disciples of Jesus. They are dazed. They are, in fact, confused. They are overwhelmed by this. But God completely loves them. God focuses them on Jesus, his passion, and God says, listen to him. That's what many of you are trying to do in Lent. I encourage you to just keep pushing on it this week. Unlike Abraham, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you've got a lot of tools to live this. You have the scripture every day. It's cited in that bulletin when you go home. You have at least one spiritual guide in that bulletin to read day by day to guide you, or you can get those off our social media online. You have the tools available, including a worldwide communion of genuinely authentic disciples of Jesus praying for one another. I hope this encourages you to live this week of Lent. And if you haven't been living Lent, in Lent of 2022, with the state of the world and whatever state you're in, in terms of your life, your choice. Thank you for listening. To learn more and to get involved, go to stpatrickparish.com.